0: Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo Show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo Show. Hey, thanks for coming in on the show to Social Jello with Angelo. Today I'm interviewing Christopher Van Atta, who is a CrossFit coach in Kyoto, Japan. It was a really great interview, really cool guy, had some great stories about how he became an expat, how he came out to Japan, how he ended up living out here, and how he started his own business. Really inspiring stuff, and just a really cool cat to talk to, too. Um, Before we get into the interview, some dates, some dates. On May 12th, I believe, May 12th, yes, May 12th, in Osaka. Um, they have the, they have the J MMA Federation, which is the Japanese Mixed Martial Art Federation in Osaka is going to be having a amateur MMA, uh, I I don't want to say it's a tournament, just a few matches. Um, I signed up for the 77 kilogram weight class. So if you are in Japan and you want to watch the fights, um, I'll have a link in the episode notes so you can check it out. It's on May 13th, May 13th, sorry, May 13th on a Sunday. Um, but if, yeah, if you want to check it out, definitely I'll have a link to the place. It's, uh, it's usually at a MMA gym in Osaka. The fights are free. If you want to see, if you want to watch, if you want to fight, uh, the fights, I think it's only like 3000 yen to sign up and, um, and you go from there. And they accept anyone. All you gotta do is just put your name and uh, whatever martial art you, it is that you practice. And uh, I believe there's still slots open to sign up if you're looking forward to fight. If you're if you're looking at fighting, um, you still have some time. By the time this episode comes out in April, you know you still have about a month to sign up to see if they can match you up with something. That's about it. Um, <clears throat> Let's get into the show, and let's check out the interview. I hope you enjoy it. So what's up, man? Thanks again for being on the show. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the intro credits, uh, this is Christopher Van Ata, 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 Ata. Is
1: that Japanese? That is not Japanese. That is my. That's actually my mother's maiden name. That's your mother's maiden name. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Sweet. Well, thanks again for coming out on the show. Um, I reached out to you because I noticed that uh, you were doing like all these crazy workouts. <laughs> I saw this stuff like you were putting on this video on Instagram about yeah. your about your s- snatch. Ah,
1: uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Cool. I said that right.
1: Yes, you did. All right. All right. <laughs> So you got a a CrossFit gym out here, right? That's correct. Um, We just finished, well, not just finished, we're finishing construction now and the grand opening will be this Sunday. Um, I should say the construction, there's a little bit left. We have a little bit of the Tommy that has to go in, touch up a little bit of the paint. Um, People have already run into the wall a few times, so we have to fix a few things. But so far, so good. We're about to open. Someone ran into the wall. Yeah, yeah. So That must like, have been an intense workout. <laughs> it kind of gets intense, right? Because it's supposed to be with, with CrossFit, sometimes you have high volume. Sometimes you have high intensity. So I've had people do on more high intensity days uh, like heavy carries. So they'll have something like a heavy sandbag. And they'll drop the sandbag. But then they will keep going and they hit the wall. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it can be a little bit dangerous. I try to get, there's a little bit of padding, but not so much. Oh, wow. That, that, that's cool though. So, like, most of your
0: clientele, they're, I mean, I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but they're, they're all Japanese.
1: There's about 70% Japanese. It's going up slowly because, uh, the, the CrossFit community, specifically in Kyoto, um, is a little bit older than other places in Japan outside of Tokyo. And in other places in Kyoto, as well as in Japan as a whole, it's almost 50-50 foreigner and Japanese. But here, unlike um, the Blackboard and in class, I teach all of the classes primarily in Japanese. Oh, wow. But I use English if there are English speakers there. So it's a little bit easier for people to get into it. Oh, cool! Just, yeah. How long have you been in Japan? Uh now in total about eight years.
0: Oh wow! Yeah. Cool. cool. So, um, what originally? I guess. Where do I start? What brought you to Japan, or how did you get into CrossFit? What? Hmm. <laughs>
1: Did Japan food starts first, so that could be a little easier, yeah.
0: All right, let's
1: start with that story. We, um, what brought me to Japan? Ah, uh, the easiest way to explain it is that originally I had absolutely no interest in Japan, um, outside of like the general. Uh, when I was very very young, there were a lot of things from Japan that came to the states. I'm originally from Colorado, and I mean, I knew about, I knew about Japan as a place, but my father started working here as a contractor off and on in Tokyo, and he invited me to come here for one week when I was, I I was in middle school. Yeah, I was in middle school. So I came here for one week, thought, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. And since then, I always wanted to go back overseas, not necessarily to Japan, but overseas. Then... I went to university, graduated university, moved to New York to get a job in video editing. I was not able to find a job. And after four months and like two, uh, sorry, 180 um, job applications, seven interviews, I had zero job offers in New York.
0: maybe you didn't apply to enough jobs man right? i just need a few more
1: it's like two more yeah just like maybe 20 more just 200 make it even right i mean that that, that would have brought me right i would have been able to get that that one job off it's that threshold yeah that east that east coast threshold exactly. and then from there oddly enough i had a friend from university uh whose hometown is in um new Jersey. He visited his mom in New Jersey and said, hey, you should come stay with me for the weekend. I said, cool. I go there and it's like me, him and his mom making pasta, which is really, I mean, like when I say making pasta, I mean like rolling out pasta and drying it. And he was telling me about um, English teaching in Korea. From that, he said, why don't you try applying to English teaching jobs overseas because you love teaching? Uh, before that time, I was teaching um, teaching editing as well as teaching computer sciences. And I thought, okay, I'll all apply to jobs. I applied to five jobs teaching English in um, just Asian countries in general. From those five applications, within three days, I had three interviews and two job offers. And then... Um, About 18 days later, I was in Japan. Hmm. Yeah. Not working legally at the time. Ooh,
0: (laughs) is that something you're going to want me to take off like later?
1: (laughs) You know, I I would say that it is, but to be completely honest, the government knows all about it. So it's, it's oddly okay. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we're, so we're good.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Good, good to know. No, no, no like, nothing crazy like Yakuza shit, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: That was later. No. <laughs> that was later. We can't talk about that. <laughs> well, we can, but I'm going to have to, like, block
1: out your, make the blurry face and distort <laughs> your voice. <laughs> have a little bit, like, down just below the mouth or something. Yeah, right there. So, uh, <laughs> hide your identity. Oh, God, so, I wish it was that interesting. So,
0: <laughs> so when you came out here, um, the first job you got, what were you doing?
1: Oh, I was, okay, so I came over, um, I came here as an English teacher in Yamaguchi, Japan. So, the, so Yamaguchi Prefecture. And if you've ever been to Yamaguchi, which pretty much no one has, you'll yeah, know yeah. that there are pretty much no people there, except a lot of depressed old people factory workers, and roughly, I don't know, 20 foreigners. And that's, of course, an exaggeration, but that, that can be what it feels like.
0: That's actually how where I'm living. <laughs> in
1: Yamaguchi? No, no. No, okay. uh, no, 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 no.
0: I'm not living in Yamaguchi. But, like, where where, where I live, I actually live out in the countryside. Um, ah, yeah, okay,
1: it's exactly the same. Though. So, yeah, it's,
0: it's mostly retired, older folk, uh, factory workers.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um... You know, a lot of fam—not I wouldn't say a lot of families, but quite a few families are out here, so it's not all retired people. Yeah. Um, but it is definitely a little. It's not your typical, like, expat story, because, you know, I've heard some pretty exciting stories, and I don't know if mine's one of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine starts out exactly the same way. It's like, we moved to the countryside, it was a pretty good experience. Like, that's, that's how the story starts, and it kind of sounds kind of boring. So, from there, um, what happened? Oh, that's it. From there, so, the English teaching job I had was not singularly focused on, like, elementary schools or singularly focused on um, -on one-on-one English teaching. It was literally everyone. So, um, I had the experience of meeting, uh, like... Government officials and people who worked for companies as well as of course housewives um, and teaching junior high school high school, all those people so from there um, I started because I was meeting so many people at once, I started to develop a um, a system for when I would meet people for the first time, starting with um, two questions basically what are your dreams and well, actually, I should just ask you. Do you have
0: or oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Um, I'm gonna have you repeat that one more time because your sound kind of broke up.
1: Mm, do you want me to repeat it from the beginning?
0: Um, I guess just a question. I said you. you I got. I got the part. It it broke up right before you said. Yeah. Let me ask you. And that's yeah. where. That's right That's where I lost you.
1: <laughs> no problem. <laughs>
0: So, what was the question?
1: Yeah, um, I just, I want to. So, let me ask you: uh, What are your dreams or long-term goals? My long-term goals, dreams.
0: Ah, that's a hard one. I guess. Um, what I'd have to say is, I've gone through many phases in my life, and I've been lucky enough that most of the time when i set my my sights to achieve a dream i got very far every time i did that which has allowed me to go after several dreams and move on to other ones if that makes any sense so like yeah yeah
1: yeah that totally makes sense like
0: when i was young my dream was to become a professional musician and i drove that dream all the way into touring and (sighs) Um, got offered a contract by um, by a record producing company, a small label, and then later a bigger label. I s- never signed to the small label because I wanted to sign to a bigger label, and I actually set up a meeting with um, with some pretty big people in the music industry that signed Coldplay and some other big bands. Oh, wow. And uh, my, my family, I come from a family of professional musicians, so that was my dream, And then right before I signed that contract, my guitarist um, on our last tour, I found out that he was selling cocaine to (laughs) people on the tour. And uh, I had a rule. I I really don't care what you did off stage as long as it didn't mix with what we're doing on stage.
1: And, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And we were in Texas at the time and when I found out that he, you know, that he was sitting there selling drugs, I was like, dude, like, and he had drugs on him in the fucking RV that the label was letting us use. I'm like, do you realize like, we get busted the label, the small label that we're not signed to that's nice enough to let us use this giant RV with a trailer and everything to go around the US. Do you realize how much trouble we'd be in if we got nailed? Like, They don't mess around in Texas. We'd all do time. And we'd be and he just kind of looked at me like a party pooper. He's like, You're ruining the party, man. Like crashing my my good times. And I was just like, you know what? You know, we're leaving. We were in our last spot. I found out what was happening like at, at one of our last gigs. And I said, yeah. we got to go. He's like, hey, man, there's this after party. We should go play. I'm like, no. You know, we all have to go back to work. We all had jobs that we had to come back to. Yeah. You know, just we got to go. And Either way, long story short, big fight with him. Yeah. And when I got back to, to San Diego, where I'm from, uh, I was talking to our producer, which was also the same producer for Bleak 182. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, fire him. Fire him. Yeah. Get rid of him. You can start, we can find guitarists are a dime a dozen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and
0: yeah. My problem was that I wouldn't have been in that particular band if he, that guitarist didn't uh-huh. invite me into it. So like um, okay. they had another singer, they had interviewed me, I auditioned, they chose me over their other singer who had a drinking problem and I reformatted the band and yeah I rewrote the lyrics but still that guitarist me and him sat down and composed all the music.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, yeah,
0: yeah. And then the producer was like fuck him, he had his shot, he fucked up. You know, um just get rid of him and yeah. we uh we can always recompose new music but even then he, it's you're the you're the sole uh composer and writer. So technically yeah. even though he helped you co-compose there's no contract yet, so we can just ace him out and essentially steal his music and sign a contract without him.
1: Yeah, pretty much, right? Morally,
0: business-wise, correct, morally unacceptable for me. Yeah. And I was just kind of just disheartened by the whole thing. And so I thought yeah, cool. about it. I'm like, well, either I, either I fire him and I take advantage of him or I quit. And I was like, fuck, what do I do? or I quit. And if I quit, I start all over again. So I said, you know what? Screw it. I quit. I'm done. I I called him up and said, you know what, man? Uh, This is not working. I'm going to quit. And then he, um, and I was kind of thinking maybe I'll do a solo project, but I wasn't sure yet. And then he turned around and, uh, and pretty much just spread a bunch of rumors about me that I'm sabotaging the band and all our fans broke apart, turned into this crazy, they taking sides and everybody took his side. Cause at the time he was in charge of all the social media marketing and I would stay off the internet. Yeah. So at that point everybody hated me. So I'm like, yeah, I can't exactly t- transfer my fans. And even though I was, I had the big meeting with the record label soon. And then he told me, he's like, I don't want to sign with a big record label. And that's when I'm like, Oh dude, we can't even sign. I don't Oh jeez, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, so, gives- so I, I finally, I finally decided to switch everything up. I was like, you know what? I'm. Uh, I was already married to my wife, who was Japanese.
1: She, yeah.
0: She was for a few years, and she was already riding this uh, this wave of a, of a rock and roll lifestyle with me. and yeah. I, And I finally said, you know what? I don't want to waste any more time. Um I, yeah. lo- I love music, but at that point, I, I was already seeing what it was doing to my uncle, who was a professional musician, and how he had never had time to be with his family, never had time to be with his girlfriends. Just never had time. He's Just working all the time. A yeah, lot of people yeah, don't, yeah. don't realize that the rock star life is is actually just like a lot of work and, and traveling mm-hmm. and working and traveling and working. And you don't really get to see the people you care about mm. that, that much. And so that, that's when my focus, that's why I said it'd be hard to answer your question. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's my, a good answer. My focus changed at that point. Mm. Um, my focus became more about Trying to, I told my wife, you know, maybe going to Japan would be an option. You know, I I know, I know for sure. I don't. I like the idea of traveling. Why did I want to be musician? Because I like the idea of traveling. Yeah. Um, I know that I, I would like to maybe go. I was thinking like, in the way way future, I was like, I'll become a professional musician, then then I'll get my degree at a university when I retire, and then maybe I'll retire when I'm done with musician music or whatever, I'll go teach English for fun in Japan. That was like the overall plan back then. So yeah, I kind yeah, of yeah. just changed the plans around. I was like, all right, right, we'll scratch the traditional musician. Uh oh, gotta go to the university. <laughs> 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 oh no. And went through that. But yeah. um but I was actually really relieved to find out that um that the that Japan pretty much will hire someone at that point uh, they still do. They'll hire someone with a bachelor's degree yeah. in anything as long as it's from a native English university. Which well, Yeah, I'm yeah, America, yeah. So. so I got around that by going for a degree in psychology. And then while trying to do that, yeah. um, again, my dreams changed. Um, I was thinking, well, everyone's talking a lot about how I'm really good at psychology. And my I have all these professors and mentors that are supporting me. And they're telling me that I should get a doctorate. I should become yeah. a professor, that I yeah. have what it takes. And I even, they even had me um, come in as a guest lecturer. And I did some, 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 guests, uh, some lectures in psychology and sociology because I ran a few research studies. Yeah. And um, I started thinking, yeah, I think maybe I was thinking of teaching in Japan, but maybe I'll just become a professor, you know?
1: Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And that,
0: that'll be my track. In the middle of all that, my dad got sick, got cancer and, and died in a very short period so wow. within five years. So I just left the band, and maybe within four or five years after that, my dad died of cancer wow. and, um, and left me in charge of my kid brother. Yeah And I was just thinking, I just um, I was a few years away from getting my bachelor's in psychology, and I was thinking, you know what? This is not at all what I planned, um, yeah yeah I, I got my yeah this is this is throwing me for a loop. If I get the doctor in psychology, I guess I can still get the doctorate in psychology, I was thinking, and my wife wanted to start having kids, she had an infertility issue, um, we ended up blowing through about thirty grand, which was pretty much our life savings at the time, half of our life savings almost a little more than half. And we're like, you know what? We're not going to be able to have kids. And that's when things got really serious. And we said, well, let's go back to Japan and see what's going on over there. And so we came to Japan out here to visit the parents. Yeah. And while she was here, she found out that Japan had an infertility program for, for Japanese citizens. And she was still a resident. She still wasn't a U.S. citizen. So okay. she was still considered a Japanese citizen because she
1: had only yeah. U.S. residency. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And um, Japan would cover the infertility treatment. Wow. And not only cover it, but they'd sponsor it because they have a sponsoring program for, for women her age at that point.
1: Yeah, so yeah. How old was she? She
0: was in her sh- mid-30s, I want to say. I wanna okay, say this, okay. This was about... Yeah, she was like 35, 36 back then, around there. Okay, okay. And the program is for, for women under 42, I think it is. Ah, under I see, under I see. 42. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they pretty much covered a lot. I mean, and plus, the, Sweet. so they, they offered to cover a lot. So then I said, okay, well, now time's running out. I can try to stick around in the US and get that doctorate, which will take me another four years, five years. But yeah. She's running out of time so yeah 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 yeah. so let's just change our goals and the goal is to have a family now and um came out to japan and uh the being out here she got through the infertility program it took us a few more years about another three years of infertility program and we almost gave up but lo and behold it worked out and my daughter my daughter's two now wow that's wonderful and um so again, my my goals changed. My dreams changed.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's shifted um, <clears> a
0: throat> lot. Throat> yeah. So like, for for to say like, what's my overreaching goal would be to. I'm not the kind of person that's all about work. I've always been mm. about. Um, oh, in the middle of all that, I just I did I ended up getting my master's in psychology. I went for an online program and ah, finished okay, that. Okay, okay. And um, I started looking at why am I pursuing the education because at one point, the money I was making as an English teacher was already substantially very good and I opened my own English school which was even which was really great. I got yeah. lucky Yeah. and um, at the end of it all, I was thinking if I get the doctorate in psychology which I still can do, what am I really going to do with it? Like a doctorate in psychology, I can be a university professor but a yeah, university yeah, yeah. professor out here in Japan. Is gonna put me back in the situation as the rock star life. Like I don't know where university I'm gonna end up getting a job at. I'm gonna to have to go somewhere else. She wants to be with her family here and take care of her aging parents. Exactly. Which would separate us again. I'm like, you know what? This sounds like the same issue I was having with the rock star life.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
0: So how about I just enjoy this life, and so that my goals change to just pretty much find you know keep what i'm doing now make enough money to take care of my family yeah and um i guess the overarching goal the dream would be to continue what i'm doing right now is investing i do property investing and stuff like that i try to i try to make investing. my philosophy yeah. is to make as much money as i can in the least amount of time
1: <laughs> i've never heard that before that is that is uh, <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing! I believe they call it work work
0: smart, not hard.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly, and that's
0: that's been my philosophy in life. And why? I like that. Yeah, because I still have a lot of things that I like to do. I do MMA. Um, yeah, I've been doing martial arts since I was a kid. When I came to Japan, I started fighting in the cage for uh, for for a pretty big venue. I did a semi pro fight. Oh, and did you? Yeah, it was random. I thought it was a an amateur fight. And then when I got there, I'm like, so where's my helmet? They're like, oh, no, it's, there's no helmets. Like, okay, where's my shin pads? Oh, no shin pads. What, what are the rules <laughs> again? <laughs> like, there's no ground and pound. Oh, like, oh, shit, that's a semi-pro fight. So pretty much, you know, cameras and cages yeah. and
1: <laughs> the whole deal. Out of nowhere. Yeah,
0: I'm like, okay, well, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess I'm doing a semi-pro fight. <laughs> so, yeah. so after that, I was like, I lost. And I realized it was my first MMA fight. And I was like, you know Mm. what? I think uh, the reason I lost, well, I never did MMA before. I just kind of jumped into the cage. I've done training, martial arts training, and I've done MMA practice. But I I never really practiced with the rules. And there was a lot of yeah. yeah, yeah. Without ground and pound, my martial art relies on ground and pound. Without ground and pound, I'm stuck with a lot of grappling. So so I started working more on my grappling, which put me training... uh, which which had me find a new venue, which is through JMMAF, which is the hybrid pancreation Wrestling. It's the same if you yeah, if you yeah. if you if you know an, a little bit of MMA. Yeah, this, this is the same venue that uh, Boss Rooten and Crow Cop a long time ago used to fight for. Oh, okay, 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 okay. And they're really cool. I like them because they're not the semi-pro venue. Wanted me to sell tickets, and it felt again like the rock star thing. Like I had to promote, yeah. and I'm like, dude, I, I'm not. Looking into that again, like I just want to fight and, and do my thing. Yeah, and um, so my dream changed, and um, to kind of uh, in the next four years, I'd like to win enough amateur fights to try to get a semi-pro fight. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, through that venue, because that venue mm-hmm. yeah doesn't, yeah yeah doesn't make me promote. I just pay money to fight. Like I pay three thousand yeah. yen and and go. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah so that 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 so that my goal changed a little bit in that aspect, but that's just for again, for fun. It has nothing to do with my career. I, my career goals are are different from my personal goals. Those are my personal fitness goals,
1: I guess. yeah, I see I have the fitness goals and you have the the life goals. things have changed there. yeah, oh my God, that is that is a very, very good and well produced answer. <laughs> I have never heard from any of my english students my business students my crossfit students no one has ever given me a more legit answer (laughs) which is a good thing it's a it's a very very good thing because i would what the answers that i didn't like what i would say things like what are your dreams and i would i would they would say something like i want i want to uh uh get married uh And they would trail off like the (laughs) sentence. Like, I'm like, are you sure that's what you want? Like, I don't know if if you're just. Is that what your parents want? And that so that would be really upsetting. And then hearing an answer like yours, it's so it's so well crafted that usually that type of answer is what kept me going in the English teaching business. So um, if when I would meet these students. No, I'm I'm going to talk a little bit about your story if that's okay. Oh, no, that's fine. Here what I'm going to do is
0: yeah. I'm going to I'm going to cue you out and then yeah. cue you back in.
1: Yeah. Basically, um from from something like your story which has this really really good long list of goals that you went towards achieving and then you moved on to other goals and then moved on to other goals. This fit into one of Actually, one of three different answers, I would get to that question of what are your dreams? I would either get the question, uh, sorry, the answer of, well, I want to get married someday. Or I would get something like yours, which is a very, very well-crafted uh, future goal that someone moves towards but is not... Too bothered with being derailed and moving towards another goal, and that's sort of where I wanted to move people towards because the third goal was what would basically piss me off the most. If someone said to me, "I have a goal. Um, I want to. I want to start my own business," and they would have this very very clear goal, I would then ask them a second question of, "Okay, when do you want to go after that goal? When are you going to achieve that? Right now, you're a factory." chemical worker and you're telling me you want to open a ramen shop when are you going to do that <laughs> it's, they would have these crazy dreams that were amazing and then i would say dude when are you going to achieve that and they'd say well uh you know after after i retire and this would make me so 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 angry because i mean ever since i, I was young you know you want to have some sort of goal and some you want to be going towards something, whether that's something amorphous, like I want to be happy or something much more concrete, like I want to put an extra 10 kilos on my on my clean and jerk. Some, it needed to be some sort of goal, whether it's measurable or not. And to hear someone say, I have this goal, but I'm not going to go after it just really, really, really upset me. And this happened at least two or three times each day. I mean, it it was so constant that um, it made me really upset with the idea of English teaching altogether. Because in my mind, English teaching is a tool and it's a tool that should be used for something in some way. If you're teaching like children, you're teaching them a tool for communication. If I'm teaching these businessmen, and they don't have a clear goal or a strategy for that goal, it really, really started to, to upset me. So I finally cracked one day when a, um, when a factory worker said to me, I want to hike the Shikoku Ohenro san. And at the time, I had no idea what he was talking about. My Japanese was very limited. And I said, OK, fuck it, I have an idea. If I do it, if I just quit, if I say to go to my boss and say, I'm quitting uh, next month. If I quit, I hike the Shikoku Ahenro-san and I call you up and say, hey, I just did it. Will you do the same thing? Like, can you actually make that promise with me? And he said, okay, kind of like quizzically. <laughs> like, <laughs> this guy's really, he kind of thought I was weird, right? This. English teacher shows up at like 6 p.m., he just finished his shift and is telling him, you know, I'll do this thing that you say is impossible, but you have to promise me that you'll do it. Like, I really don't know what was going through his head, but he said, okay, and I was like, sweet, let's like pinky swear over this. Which sounds so childish. Actually, it's really childish now that I think about it. Two men in business suits <laughs> doing like a pinky swear over this this um this trip that I did still hadn't had no idea what it was. So um, I ended up quitting my job. My boss was totally understanding because in in her mind, it just made her company look even better that she had this teacher who would do something like that for her students. So she used it as marketing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I (laughs) learned what the Shikoku Ohenro-san was and um, Hiked it in about thirty thirty-five days. So it's. Wow. I don't know if you know the Shikoku Henrozan. I'm sh- I'm sure that you do because you you live much closer to. Yeah, the-
0: and I, one of my other things I do is surfing. So I usually go to Tokushima every at least every summer, every month during the summer I go out there. So yeah, that's, that's that giant. For my listeners, do you want to go ahead and explain what that is?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Shikoku Henrozan <clears throat> is a. A very, very long walking pilgrimage, and I believe it is the longest uh, continuous walking pilgrimage in the world at the moment. Um, It's over 1,000 kilometers, and you visit at least 88 different Buddhist temples. Now, these temples are from, uh, they now represent different sects, but they were all at least either established or blessed or touched by um by one man who ended up making the entire pilgrimage that's a shikoko Henderson. that's the shortest quickest explanation i can give of it i think um, that's,
0: that's good that's good they'll have it. and then for, for for those of y'all listening google it <laughs> yeah. if you want more
1: information google <laughs> it <laughs> It's totally worth doing. And it's almost like, um, just like you hear from what's now considered a classic film. Oh my God. Fight club. Like it's not something that, that people who've done it, who really have gone through and done it really like to talk about with people who haven't done it because it's very hard to express what, what it does to you. Um, being in that, because it's sort of, you're putting yourself in a very special space. So even though I am a very, very, very ardent atheist, it's putting me in that in that very, very specific space where everyone's treating you a very specific way. You're going through um, you're going through the whole process of, of a pilgrimage, and um, I was there to represent other people and also just to push this guy to do it, and all of that creates a very, very special circumstance. So. Anyway, that was a very, very, very um, off-kilter answer, but that pilgrimage was meant to, I was meant to do that in 60 days, but then the, um, the earthquake in Tohoku happened. So I had raised money because I needed food in order to do the Shikoko henro and in raising that money, um, I decided, okay, instead of me spending sixty days just focusing on me and, you know, forcing this other guy to do it, why don't I cut my time and go very quickly, and then uh, after that, I will go volunteer in Tohoku and use whatever money's left over to, to do that. Um, I went to Tohoku, started volunteering there, and started to work in Tokyo while in the north of Japan volunteering. So I would spend one to two weeks in Tohoku volunteering and then come back and work in Tokyo for three or four weeks um, daily, uh, basically with no holidays, if that makes sense. So when you're talking, so when about,
0: you're talking about Tohoku to- and yeah. that whole situation, that um that's the same... This is is this around the same earthquake that hit Fukushima are, are, we, are we on the yes. same page here right Yes, this, yes. yes. I, I know some I recognize it as that but my listeners who are not as familiar with Japan will recognize it as the as the Fukushima disaster with the yes. with the tsunami and the earthquake yes. that hit many areas not just Fukushima but a lot a lot of parts in the Kanto area Kanto yes. area being the what northern I always say northern but it's some in, people in. say eastern I say northern. Oh God, I mean, but i mean, Kyoto. You can't say northern. They will say east. Yeah, they always <laughs> say east, which totally throws me off. Because I, I look at Japan as like north. I split it totally different from. But anyway, <laughs>
1: that's awesome. The
0: Tokyo area is considered the Kanto area, and a lot of places got hit around that area. <clears throat> yes. Yes. And you, so you went there to volunteer at one of
1: the um, one of the cities that was largely affected by the earthquake. Correct. Correct. Um, When the earthquake, the earthquake happened about uh, 10, 12 days before I planned to go to, to hike around Shikoku. And um, just to give you an idea a little bit about my family. um, Sorry, I should back up. Friends of mine that I had made while in Yamaguchi slowly moved to do other work. While I was there for about three years, I had friends who moved to Tokyo. And those friends, when the earthquake happened, they all received phone calls from their parents, just like me. So they some of them received the phone call that was like, please, please come home immediately. And that was like some of those friends. So some of those friends did go home. Then the other friends, they're Parents called and said, "Okay, please. Are you're safe, right? Can you please stay safe?" My parents called me and said, um, "We know you're going to go there. Just um, don't, don't die of anything related to radiation." Hmm. Was enough. their response? It's that response mainly because um, in my family, uh, the, my family is really theatrical, uh, over the top, and uh, we will often do things that are um, like volunteering, and it's not simply because of the like altruistic desire to help other people, but there's something really gratifying about helping other people that's, that's just nice, like it's a really nice feeling, so we'll go and do that. We'll, we'll change our lives just to do that, which is, that's like the most wholesome answer why you do it
0: well one of the things that that uh they talk about in psychology is the idea that some psychologists argue that there is no such thing as a truly altruistic act because you will always get that good feeling that you just talked about yeah in psychological studies they said measured to be a, a very large amount of happiness that cannot be achieved by something else like People can achieve happiness, and we gotta talk about happiness. But what is happiness, and our operational definitions of happiness change. So the kind of gratitude, the kind of not gratitude, but the kind of good feeling that you get from doing an altruistic act, you get social capital in the in the praise oh, yeah. that you get from people when you tell people that you did something like that. In which a, uh, some psychologists are arguing, then therefore. It truly wasn't a completely altruistic act, the idea that you're doing something and you will get nothing in return. However, yeah. your intention of wanting to do something altruistic and not expecting something in return, that can be in itself altruistic, but the actual act itself
1: isn't, if that makes any sense. Yeah, 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 that definitely makes sense. It's, it's, it sounds very roundabout, but it definitely makes sense. So so you were following... That's so- yeah,
0: you were out there volunteering.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> and um, what what happened from there?
1: Yeah, so the only the only reason I bring that up is because um, I lived in Tokyo teaching um, English one on one, and then volunteered in Tohoku. And the first week, the first week I volunteered, we were doing things like. Uh, basically clearing mud out of people's homes. And it's not exactly mud, it was literally like sewage, sludge, just anything that was in the bay of that city uh, that had just come into the city. So cleaning people, uh, clean, uh, sorry, clearing it out of people's homes, out of businesses, that type of thing, just trying to make it a little bit of a better place to live. Then after that, the volunteering turned into more um, uh, support for children and basically going and drinking tea with old people. Uh, For a long time, that's what it became. I I bring that up though, because the first day that I arrived, um, I met two women who I eventually worked with to uh, to make basically an NGO in Tohoku to help children. And I would go from from Tohoku to Tokyo, and in Tokyo I um, broke up with my longtime girlfriend from Yamaguchi. However, she wanted to stay with me, so she moved to the city I was working in, Tohoku, and started volunteering in hopes that it would bring us back together. It's kind of a weird way to start volunteering. But she started doing that, and at the same time, I started dating a girl that I met on the Shikoku Henrosan, and she decided to go start volunteering in Tohoku. Sounds like trouble. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, it gets it gets even it gets even better. It becomes sort of like this daytime drama because um, one of the women who I worked with in the NGO eventually we started dating. So I was I at one point was kind of casually dating these two women in Tokyo, but volunteering with one of them in Tohoku while these other two women were also volunteering in Tohoku, who one was trying to get back together with me and the other one we were just casually dating. So it was really like a daytime drama that to give a really, really long story, a really short answer, the woman who I was who made the NGO with, she later became my wife. Okay.
0: Yeah. Let me see if I if I if I if I caught up on your on your so Japanese confused. on your Japanese uh, drama here. Um, yeah. Not the girl from Shikoku. Not the girl not from Yamaguchi. Me. The girl that you met from the volunteering program in.
1: I forgot the name of the prefecture.
0: <laughs> well, it's a cancer, were. cancer.
1: Game. Um, in if you, the city is Ishinomaki. Ishinomaki. Okay, so in the yes. girl,
0: so the girl that you met while you were volunteering there was the girl yes. that you ended up marrying.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now there, there's. Um, I'm not like I said, I'm a very, very ardent atheist, but there are a lot of weird things that kind of feel like. What you would what you would call fate, but I I think of it more like um, uh, pattern recognition. Um, but I'm trying to make this as as short of a story as possible. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's, I okay, I, told, okay. I told you when we started. You have all, you you have all the time. It's if you if you put the time in, I'll I'll record you. <laughs> okay.
1: okay. okay. <laughs> but I also don't want it to be boring, so I'm, I'm trying it's, to. Uh, so to far, it's
0: I. I I'm interested, and in fuck what my listeners okay. think at this point. <laughs> <laughs> fuck
1: them. They have to listen. No yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it, it, they can press pause and come back to this later. This is the time where I tell my listeners hey, you do know that watching this on YouTube is a bad idea. If you haven't figured that out yet,
1: yes, I put it on YouTube. That's not a good idea because you can't listen second. to YouTube on your car. <laughs> But you say that, and I feel like any time – because, I, I, of course, I listen to all these CrossFit podcasts. I feel like there should be situations where people have a reason to watch it on YouTube so people could see my video, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they
0: can see your video. Yeah, I can see. Oh, sweet. So like right now while you're walking around, um, I can see your gym setup, yeah. and I can see your battle ropes there, and I can, um, yeah. I can see so your stairway and your, and your weight rack. So, yeah, yeah, people can see.
1: Sweet. Um. So and, and, it will, sure that... and it
0: will be it will be on YouTube. And I, I, even though I told that to my listeners, when it starts hitting two hours, three hours, because <laughs> the YouTube video I don't have to cut. I can upload as much as I want. So I have oh, yeah. up, I, I have uploaded three hour podcasts onto YouTube, and, I, and that's always funny. With like, I I got messages from from like some of my friends and some of the people that became my listeners. They're like, I know you always say like not to watch it on YouTube, bro. But I really liked it. You shouldn't. You don't have to say that. <laughs>
1: I'm like, well, that's awesome. I'm like, I
0: appreciate your patience.
1: I wouldn't have that kind of patience to a podcast. Yeah, God, I wouldn't either. It's something I listen to while cycling. So,
0: yeah, exactly. Sorry,
1: exactly. Back into it. Um, we, I'll get back to that fate thing because it's, it's kind of um, plays an interesting role in the whole, like, this grand opening for this CrossFit gym. But um, actually, I'm going to leave that as an open thread. And go back to it because I should probably give you a quick timeline up to this moment, and then I'll go backwards if that's cool. Cool,
0: sounds good. Um,
1: so I met um, this this woman who later became my wife while volunteering, and uh, when we first met, of course, like I said, I was casually, very, very, very casually dating this other girl, and I had broken off this relationship, and at that time I had. I had thought I would never, ever um, marry a Japanese woman. And the reason for it was probably 90% of the reason was I did not want to be the stereotypical guy goes to Japan and marries a Japanese woman. It's <laughs> at least 90% of the reason. Like, it was just like, you just don't want that stereotype. Like, oh, <laughs> well, here's another American. Um, but... The other 10% was that, um, and this was purely due to stereotypes. um, I did not want someone who would um, go along with whatever I said. And this was playing on the stereotype of A, my ex girlfriend, and um, B, just the few women that I had met while in Yamaguchi. And that's, of course. A very very small subgroup of people. Yeah. So I kind of blindly walked into what I ended up doing was blindly walking into a relationship um, because I, I realized, you know, that just like any other women around the world, Japanese women are exactly the same, except completely different. If that totally makes sense. Well, Meaning, I
0: mean, there's certain cultural values they're gonna share. Perfect. Yeah. And um, because of that, you will end up with some patterns. Yes, but they still can individually be very, very different, depending on what prefecture they're from, what city they're from, and how their family lives. So, you know, the, the, your your environmental circumstances.
1: Yes, yes. So, like that. Happily, I'm very happy to say that stereotype was completely broken. Um, partially because she was so so far outside of it. Um, her she is a very very outspoken person um she was born in kyoto but her um her grandmother her mother's side um comes from osaka and her grandmother is a very 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 outspoken um activist who's basically constantly suing the government for something oh wow um like this was so far outside of that little tiny stereotype that I had made that I was like, huh, this person's really interesting. Started spending a lot of time with her and eventually she became my wife. But, um, uh, oh, Tohoku, so yes, volunteering in Tohoku, working in, in Tokyo, decided, okay, I need, I wanted um, to replicate what I had done with Tohoku where I got one guy, to quit his job, to go around Tohoku. He quit his job and he hiked around it. Then he went back to Yamaguchi and he started working for his dad's business, which is apparently what he wanted to do the whole time, but he just didn't want to admit it. And he's like, as much as I can say he's happy now, he's doing better now than he was before. So that was a really, really nice feeling I thought. I want to replicate that. So what's something that a lot of people want to do travel. I thought, okay, I will travel. What I'll do is I'll travel around the world, go to different countries and do some volunteering, do some video, um, try to help do something. And then um, basically go around the world and end up in the States or come back to Japan. And, uh, That is what brought me to leaving Japan and going to, gosh, uh, I actually don't remember the number. If I give you a number, I will totally exaggerate how many countries. It wasn't that many, but um, continent-wise, I went through Asia, um, a little bit of the Middle East, Africa, and then a short kind of fun trip through Europe before going back to the States and then coming And then eventually moving to Kyoto um, and moving in with my girlfriend who became my wife soon after that. This is also funny because because of that 90% stereotype, I was desperately trying to not depend on my wife for my visa. Hmm. Only because it's so funny because of an internal stereotype of guy goes to Japan to get married. I did not want to depend on her to get a visa, but eventually she talked me into it because it it is it is a pretty good route to go with if you are in a relationship with someone that you plan to be with for the rest of your life. I mean, it it makes sense. So yeah,
0: so. it's pretty practical. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <but> it's good. <laughs> Not so much a stereotype thing, but just it's it's a practical thing to do. Yeah, it's it's, it's actually practical. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna stay out here uh, unless you want to like lose
1: everything you own, like, like it's kind of kind of like insurance, if you will. <laughs> yeah, right. So I got over that and did that, um, and that's what brought me back to Japan the second time. Now I mentioned the fate thing because that's probably what your listeners will find much more interesting than just someone going on and on about, I traveled to this place. No, but- I think
0: actually, again, I, th- I personally think that um, I one of the side goals I have for the podcast, and I don't yeah. have clear goals for the podcast. <laughs> I always say, look, I have interviews that I do from the perspective of psychology. Nice. And that gives me a lot of wiggle room to talk about pretty much anything.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but
0: I, but I think one of the good things that happens that I would like to happen in my podcast is you get to know people, you get to hear their stories. So and anything I've found is nobody's story is boring because I mean I didn't experience what you experienced, so I always to, I mean that's why I say like if they're listening to the podcast and they're not they're not meshing well with what they heard from your life experiences, I'm sure there's some people right now listening to the podcast that are totally digging. The experience that you just shared, because that's that's something that, like I said, I have people who listen to the podcast from all over the world, from populated cities to the middle of nowhere, and other expats who are probably listening to this, going, "Wow, that's how that expat got here." That's really interesting. So, like again, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it that too much. All right. So, um, if you listen to the first part of this podcast, I uh, really appreciate it. That was part one. Um, this is part two of uh of my interview here with um and make sure i get your name right with uh christopher van atta atta is not japanese the last name is not japanese if you heard part one if you're one of those people that uh kind of likes to jump into a story halfway through and not know what the fuck's going on feel free because uh i'm sure he's got more interesting things to say but we're going to pick up from part one and uh he was just talking about he was just talking about how he did some volunteering around the world and came back to Kyoto. Exactly.
1: So the goal for that trip was to volunteer um, in different places and then came back to Kyoto. Now, just to, to, get, to go backwards in time to talk about what I was saying with more pattern recognition. Um, this, how should I say this? Right now... I have, I'm opening a CrossFit gym um, that the first floor is the gym floor um, where you do, you know, CrossFit-y things. You go crazy, throw weights around, scream at each other and... Run, run through walls, like you mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Run through walls, which is perfectly normal. does happen. <laughs> then the second floor has, of course, like an area to rest, but it also has a, um, an otashitsu, which is a like tea room, a Japanese tea ceremony room. Now to to go backwards, the whole, oh, and sorry, this building uh, used to be a sento. It was a public bath before it was, um, before it was then used as a warehouse to give anyone who happens to be watching on YouTube. Oh yeah, like, if, you're, if you're watching on
0: YouTube, um... Right now, he's, he's kind of showing, showing the place. So, if, again, if you're, if you're listening to this as a podcast, you want to check out the YouTube, just jump to it at 56 minutes and
1: 30 seconds or so, and you can see this. Sweet. So, basically, um, part, of the, part of the old tile from the bathhouse, we tried to show while putting in more resistant walls if people run into it, basically. And in a public bath... <laughs> There's always like a cold water plunge and we originally were going to cut it out to put a toilet in, but it's solid rock. So the best thing to do is to put the toilet inside. Well, that is pretty much what you can see from the public bath part. While we've also taken out, uh, you'll see it as black, I think. Yeah, a hole in the ceiling to put up a six meter rope climb. It's about 20 feet. Again, for uh, like CrossFit competitions, basically. Um, The reason I mention all of that about the building is the pattern. Um, My grandfather, before he died, uh, he built or he renovated a building and built a bed and breakfast in the Finger Lakes of um, of New York with my grandmother. And one of the things that he built alongside was a uh, Japanese tea ceremony building, basically, over overlooking a waterfall. And I didn't know this, but he was obsessed with Japanese culture. Um, and partially that's probably due to the fact that his job was um working in the US Navy as uh like security for um for fission and fusion bomb testing awesome. so he kind of felt guilty then he got interested not just guilt uh, for what what um went down in Japan in Hiroshima and Nagasaki but from that original piece of guilt, he started to just become interested in the culture, and that ended with him making this tea ceremony house in on their property for the um Ben Breakfast. In In uh, the city of Penyen on the Finger Lakes in New York. Wow. So there's that. There's that piece. There's grandfather loves Japan um, and he has a bed-and-breakfast on the Finger Lakes in New York. Then um, I moved to Japan to Yamaguchi and I moved from New York City to the countryside of Yamaguchi. In New York, I was used to drinking espresso every day. It was the only thing I could afford because it's pretty cheap and I would have espresso every day while, you know, hanging out with my theater roommates and whining about how I can't find any editing jobs. (laughs) So it's really, really, really hipster. I just realized that. Anyway, (laughs) doing that um, and gosh, I should just give a side note anyway, because this is kind of long. As a side note, I did. I was running out of money, so and uh, the computer that I was using ended up breaking down. Um, I wasn't eating very much, and uh, my roommate from university had given me a PSP, like a Sony PSP, and we had. I don't remember the right term for it. With like iPhones, use the term jailbreak, but.
0: Yeah, I think it's the same. It's a very similar concept of jailbreaking a a PSP, where you can have a bunch of different video, other video games, and other services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other apps and that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So I had this PSP, and it was the only way that I could access the internet. Um, And I had installed apps on it. Basically, I had a um, a document application that could then create PDFs. Which then I could send, which eventually is what I sent to the English school in Yamaguchi, which then got me the job. So it's kind of funny that I came to Japan because I had a Sony PSP, but not because I was playing games. <laughs> it's a weird, weird experience when I think about it. But I bring that up. Partially because although it's a non sequitur, it still plays into that fate piece a little bit. Because um, my grandfather was one of the first computer programmers for the U.S. government, and for some reason—not some reason—it's probably very obvious. Him doing that influenced his children, and it influenced my mom, his daughter, into marrying someone who was also into computer programming and that kind of got me into it and that is what got me into the idea of running uh, this kind of software on a PSP which then got me the job in Yamaguchi. Um, And the reason it got me the job was because everyone who was better qualified than me did not understand how to make a PDF. I learned this later. That because I sent my resume as a PDF, my boss hired me. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. From, a, like, PSP. from a PSP. That, 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 you gotta add that because it's actually
0: pretty easy to, to do that from, from like a computer or from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe even your smartphone, but the, the PSP element. I mean, shit, imagine <laughs> if they would have known you sent it from a PSP, bro. You probably could have gotten it. A higher paying job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I'm sending this from a video game system. <laughs> I'm, I'm that good at technology.
1: Oh, I should have put that in there. Oh. So that's like that. There's that pattern. Um, and I arrive in Yamaguchi. And of course, it's Yamaguchi. The only Starbucks is about a two hour drive away. And there are no espresso-based beverages where, where I was living. So I was like, I need caffeine and I don't want to depend on drip coffee and I don't want to depend on tea. So one of my students said, well, why don't you try matcha? Um, and <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of sacrilege to a lot of tea ceremony practitioners. But from that moment, I just started drinking matcha um, every morning so what i mean by sacrilege is, is tea ceremony is a very very um, very process driven tradition
0: i i don't almost go as far as saying there's a lot of rituals that are involved not, not like the, not and people look people always associate rituals with religion. I'm not using rituals as religion. I'm I'm kind of going off of the psycho, psychological definition of rituals. For example, people who have OCD have rituals.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, yeah, they yeah,
0: have yeah. certain things they have to do to function. Um, not that tea ceremonies are OCD, although you know, Japanese people are kind of all OCD in my opinion, but that's a different, <laughs> total different story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of rituals involved in tea ceremonies. Um, Yes. Not, not with religious connotations, but you do things a certain way, which is yes. a lot of Japanese culture in, in general. So.
1: Yes. yes, especially the traditions. So if I say something like I'm making matcha, you use um, like a special tea whisk and a special tea bowl, and you whisk a powdered green tea, to a froth and then offer to someone, or you drink it yourself. I would do this while texting on my phone. <laughs> that would be considered pretty much blasphemy in, in some circles.
0: Yeah, they probably if they heard you doing that, you wouldn't be allowed back at their tea ceremony.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was like I'd be excommunicated. <laughs> oh man, so there's there's that element which which got me kind of into tea ceremony, which blossomed into having a putting in a tea ceremony room over the top of my CrossFit gym. That's that leads into that. Plus it's, it's much more connected into um, my wife being very interested in Japanese culture. She started learning tea ceremony and got into it as well. So there's all this weird stuff with tea ceremony. Um, I didn't learn that my, my grandfather was into tea ceremony and making this tea house until after I was already drinking tea in Yamaguchi. So it's kind of weird coincidences. Probably I heard it at like when I was a child and then it eventually came to that. So there's the tea stuff. Um, again, trying to make this as quick as possible. So <laughs> we have a tea room, but why CrossFit? Why CrossFit? Why did I join the cult of CrossFit?
0: Yeah, that, 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 that is very cultish. I, I know CrossFit people. There's there's people who work out and there's CrossFit people.
1: <laughs> they're, they're completely different categories. Yeah,
0: those there are two different categories.
1: Definitely. So, CrossFit. Um I have always been into fitness in some way, meaning <laughs> I shouldn't say this is fitness to begin with. In high school I was on one of the Oh jeez, I don't even want to say it. I was on say the, it. Now I really want to. Now I really want to know what it is. <laughs> I know, right? Because it sounds. I was. I was on one of the best ultimate frisbee teams in the U.S. That's pretty sick. And which also means a lot of. I'm okay. We're Tom. We were one of the best CrossFit. Uh, Jesus, CrossFit is not what we were doing. <laughs> wait, wait. We were one, but, but real quick, real, real
0: quick. Let me. I'm going to take a, a quick step back to explain yes. to some of my listeners what Ultimate Frisbee is. Please. Um, Ultimate Frisbee is very similar to football with frisbees, right?
1: Yes. Yes. Now, yes.
0: In, in your league, were you doing? Were you playing with flags or were you tackling?
1: Uh, we were playing. In this case, um, we were playing with flags. Okay. So high school. All right. So it's pretty much for my
0: listeners that don't know what ultimate frisbee is. It's essentially flag football with frisbee.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the best way to think of it. Sweet. We did that, um, which is also the same group that was the theater group, which is also means that we were pretty much smoking weed. Oh, it's Colorado. I should. That's why I should say that. We were one of the best. <laughs> <laughs> but at that time, Colorado isn't the Colorado it is now. Well. It's it's legally that way now, but the culture's been the same the whole time. Yeah, Colorado's always been Colorado. I want to
0: say same same about California. California's always been California, but yeah, now we, we we can legally talk about this kind of stuff on a podcast and not be all. I don't have to edit that out later.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Exactly,
1: exactly. So that was that was that that was the like least physical thing I did after that. I got into what's uh, what's called century racing. So this is like um, cycling for 100 miles. Oh, wow. wow this type of race. Um, plus running, of course, like 5K, 10K, half marathons, full marathons, which in Colorado means you run, for example, half marathon. You run a half marathon, and at the finish line, there's a beer waiting for you. Nice. It's kind of this this weird experience that I didn't know doesn't exist in other places until I did a full marathon in the countryside in Japan and I finished the race and I was like where's where's my beer? Where's my beer? What's wrong with you? Hey, I finished, right? <laughs> but then again, there's a convenience store nearby, so why not be like every other foreigner and go it? <laughs> it ended up working out. But that I was into endurance, but I bring up the beer thing because I was always uh, into trying to push things to as much of an extreme as possible, meaning if I was being extremely healthy, I'll be extremely healthy. Um, In university, I dated a lot of women, and usually when they would say something like, I want to go on a diet, I would say, how about I do it, and then if it, we'll see what it does to me, and then you do it. So I did like every um, major diet fat I did as well as the master cleanse.
0: Oh Oh, no, 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 not the master cleanse, bro. No, (laughs) I have a friend who did that shit. That's the cayenne pepper one, right? Yeah. yeah, That's that's the cayenne cayenne pepper drink. (laughs) I have a friend, a friend Yeah, who, who had to do, who felt he had to do that. (laughs) <laughs> because he really wanted to detox after getting off of cortisone.
1: Ah, okay. Because he, okay. he had a
0: neck problem, and he was like, mm. I really need to detox, so I'm going to do this master cleanse thing. And uh, and he started doing the cayenne pepper and, and taking oh. like a thousand shits a day. And then, <laughs> and then I, being the great friend that I am, invited him to go water skiing. Oh. <laughs> and, my, and I remember... Like my friend is my friend's a bit, my friend was a bit gangster about shit. So he yeah. he's not the kind of guy that would say no. He Should have <laughs> said no, but he didn't. So we get out to go water ski. I told him, don't worry, man. I know you're doing the master, you know the master P thing. But like, you know, just get in the you get in the boat, just relax. You don't gotta do much. And my dad is sitting there giving my friend shit. But dad's like, why isn't he water skiing? Hey why aren't you going to go water ski? Why don't you water ski with us? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my my friend was hurting that day. Long story. Oh, that yeah. sucks. But again, for the, my yeah. listeners that don't know what it is. Um, do you remember? I know, I
1: remember it had cayenne pepper, lemon juice. Yeah. Lemon juice, cayenne pepper. And I believe uh, I could be getting this wrong, but I believe it was a little bit of maple syrup or okay. a little bit of um, some, kind. I think it's maple.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it was maple syrup or honey. It was it was some sort of sh- sugar. Yeah.
1: yeah, That was what you had during the day, but you would drink saline in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that. Because the cayenne pepper thing wasn't enough. <laughs> Just make sure that you have nothing left to give to the world. And uh, I did that to show, to see if it was a good idea. And of course I said it was a bad idea. So my girlfriend at the time didn't do it. <laughs> you,
0: you, you, yeah, you,
1: you, you're a, you are a gentleman and a scholar for that one. <laughs> oh God. And I was a PA, I was, do, I was doing um, production assistant work on a film at the time. And I remember I would go in the, into the film and, like, of course, I was working in the art department, so everyone's going crazy. they're like, "Ah, like uh this like this actor or this director, they're coming in, and we have to make sure this is right, and I'm sitting here, like, I'm just trying to make sure the world is is stops spinning <laughs> 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 whatever you want me to do, just I'll go pick that box up, okay, okay, yeah, that was pretty bad, pretty, pretty bad okay. um so." I did those things. Oh, gosh. oh yeah. So I, was, I, I take things kind of to an extreme. And, um, of course, actually, I should that pattern for me is there where if someone says something like, I'm thinking of trying this or I might try this, I say, well, I'll try it first and we'll see if it works. And that kind of gets me to all these weird places. But um, CrossFit happened because I uh, had heard about it. And thought, okay, that's just a weird, crazy cult. I'll never get into that. (laughs) (laughs) And while I was doing this other challenge, which was um, like, uh, you run a 5K and then go jump into icy water and like go swimming. While I did that, one of the sponsors was a CrossFit gym because people doing stupid things just kind of go together. (laughs) to be honest, that's, that's, a, that's basically the truth. I went to the CrossFit gym and uh, did a workout and thought, oh my God, this is so extreme and crazy. This is something that I think I would be into. Eventually, I started to see more of um, the aspects about it, like how it helps your health and um, how it helps your health. The the whole purpose is to be a more healthier individual, not CrossFit as a sport, which is about people pushing performance to an extreme, but CrossFit as a system for um, overall fitness is for promoting health. Now, that got me into CrossFit. I came back to Japan. My wife said, we're moving to Kyoto, not uh, Tokyo, which is where I wanted to live. And I said, okay, because it's best, to do, it's best to do what she says because, I mean, like I said, she's the granddaughter of a woman who's constantly suing the government. I <laughs> should probably go with what she says. <laughs> we get to Kyoto, and I say, I want our, our home to be near the only CrossFit gym in Kyoto because I would like to go there to train. And um, eventually, while I was training there, I was starting to get uh, a little bit upset with English teaching because I was running too much into the problem of um, feeling like the students I was teaching were not making progress because probably due to the very, very specific clientele, meaning if I was working teaching people of a different clientele, they might progress. But I noticed that with CrossFit, when people would come, there would be some kind of progression over time and decided, hey, maybe I can teach that. Three years later, I open a CrossFit gym. Um, I have certifications. I'm running seminars. Um, I don't know if you know his name, but um, there's a man who lives here for six months at a time named John Peretti. John Peretti. Do you know this name?
0: No, I don't.
1: He swears up and down and I will say that I totally believe him that he's the person who coined the term MMA really and um he was he was a matchmaker a long long time ago i mean like in ancient times john peretti john yeah.
0: peretti i'm going to here i'm going to right now it's uh it's going to be let's see here here type in John Peretti. Peretti, and, uh, yes. I'm Just gonna search it real quick. I see please, here. Please, please. I see here. John Heredia, martial artist, Polish yeah, that, coach, ex stuntman. Is this? Is this all? This is Twitter. That name. is him. That's his yes. Twitter, and there's his YouTube. I can't put that up. I'll lose it. But an Okay. Hey, there he goes. MMA junkie yeah So does it u f matchmaker for the u f c rival extreme maker legit, legit. yeah legit.
1: yeah yeah
0: legit actually his. it's funny that i didn't recognize his name yeah but I'm looking at pictures of him and yeah um so if you if you are if you are watching this from youtube there's a picture of him right here he's he's john Peretti. um <clears throat> so you can kind of see what he what he looks like um yeah. there's some stuff here but uh, here, we'll go back to here. And so, yeah, right now, since it records everything that's on my computer, I, I went into a thing and they can, so, they can see some images of him in the background.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So you were saying? Mm, so I met, I while teaching CrossFit, I met up with people uh, like him who, because he lives in, in Kyoto and he's, he's interested in things like CrossFit, he stopped by the CrossFit uh, gym where I was working and he introduced himself and we've been working together to try to make seminars for the future so now that I have a CrossFit gym he wants to do seminars here to teach people about um, he's, he's also an Olympic weightlifting coach but he wants to teach Olympic weightlifting and other things related to what he had learned while doing martial arts um, we have people like him basically other, other people as well He's just—he's just one example. Oh, oh my God! Oh my God! And my friend, could... my friend um, Nicholas Petas. Oh, okay. He—he'll be coming this Sunday for our event. So I bring up these people uh, only to make one last point before I will have to go. That um, I. Slowly ran into all of these different people related to the things that either I was interested in or had a similar pattern. Um, I started CrossFit. I ran into Nicholas Petas, and now we uh, we are friends enough where he'll he'll come here to to do things here. And John Peretti's is going to come here as well. Aya, uh, um, who's kind of getting to be more famous in Japan for CrossFit. She's going to come the next time that she can. Plus, um, all within the tea world, there are different people in the tea community who want to come visit as well. This isn't a way of me saying, oh, look, these are all my friends. But I noticed that like the more, the very, very simple, I don't know if if axioms like, but the simple axiom that, that, I never really believed to be true, but now I want to say is true. Um, Is that like, if you are doing things in service to other people, you tend to find things that better you along the way. Meaning, while my Goal in Tohoku was just to help people. I ended up with this really strong, independent, up jewelry artist wife. And then, while getting interested in CrossFit, I've been lucky enough to meet these great um, fighters. And while I just so happened to make tea because there was no Starbucks, I have been able to meet these uh, higher up people in the tea industry or interested in making my own business i've been able to speak with a lot of different business owners in kyoto and it seems that the more that i do for other people the more i also get out of it to the point where it's becoming very very selfish
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not so much selfish I mean, again, selfish. I think would be the idea that you would do it, and you're not helping other people, right? That's, that's yeah, yeah, selfish. yeah, yeah. But at the end, like the idea that again, what I said earlier, when psychology, how psychology defines what altruism is, yeah, and how altruism can turn around and be something that's actually mutually beneficial for both people involved. Um, kind of touching. I know we're we're wrapping things up here pretty soon for this second part of the episode for the podcast it'll be the second part for the youtube it'll be one long video but um but yeah like I think some of the things you mentioned about being an atheist I'm I'm not an atheist I'm what I consider myself to be maybe an agnostic and I say maybe okay. because I have a belief system that doesn't involve anybody else and I don't want it to and I don't I'm comfortable with not knowing the – I'm comfortable with telling people, not giving people an answer, but at the same time having a belief structure that if it doesn't turn out to be what I think it is, I don't know, and I don't claim (laughs) to know, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely.
0: But but there is definitely something – as a scientist, I like things I can measure. I always say that. Hmm. I like things I can measure. But there's just some things in in life that can't be measured.
1: <laughs> that's true, that's true. That's true. And I, I I give you that that there are things that cannot be measured. Hey. So <laughs> that's going to be really annoying for people to hear. Like the fans. Hey. <laughs> <I> <laughs> <laughs> so
0: you were saying the the caveat.
1: Yes, the um oh yeah yeah yeah. So I totally understand um, your, your, uh, type of belief, I believe, because my, my brother is very, very similar. Um, but the only caveat that I have stems from, um, a, a type of belief that I've had for a long time. So I'll back up a bit. When I finished high school and I was choosing universities to go to, um, I was accepted to universities for, uh, for physics and universities for film for film, specifically for film editing, and I chose the very, very you know uh, lucrative route of film editing, which is not very lucrative. Um, <laughs> I chose what my parents thought was, well, for my parents, it's not that bad of a choice because I come from a family of theater actors, and that it makes sense so I went that route instead of physics but i've still been interested in it for a very very long time and what i realized um, well now slowly going back and studying more physics um, i realized something that i heard that i learned about general physics education if you go to school if you go to university for physics you learn I'll, i'm going to use a, a blanket example that's not exactly what you would learn in a physics curriculum, but it should be pretty easy to explain. Plus it doesn't stretch my understanding too far. So let's imagine that the first year you learn Newtonian gravity. You learn that two objects, um, two objects pull each other, and if I drop a pen, it falls towards the earth, and the earth falls towards the pen. That's Newtonian, Newtonian um, gravity. Then the next year, they tell you, okay, um, that's actually not what it is. That just was a good approximation at the time. Forget all that. We're going to move on to, um, to Einstein's explanation for gravity. And each year, you basically hear, okay, what you learned last year was actually wrong. Forget that. It was just an approximation. Here's what we have now. And usually by the last year, it's someone saying, this is what we have now. This is definitely fact. And all of the students are saying to themselves, this professor has no idea what they're talking about.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, towards the end of it, when they start getting into quantum physics and dark matter, things get pretty almost into the range of philosophy.
1: Yeah, 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 right? So with that in mind, whenever, if I sway between being agnostic or lean towards being atheist only because my feeling is that the reason we don't understand something now is simply because we have a limited ability to understand it. And it's really kind of a depressing belief when you think about it. It's, It's very soulless. So I would like to not be atheist. When I think about it, but that's what it, that's the. uh, (laughs) I
0: think you're the first atheist I've talked to that's ever said that. I'd like to
1: not be atheist. (laughs) And I think it's it's that that desire to be a physicist that's still in there somewhere. And it's like, you just can't, like, I can't, I can't reason with myself out of, out of that, out of that, that feeling because it's, it's that every time there's something that cannot be explained, in one time period, sometime in the future, they were, they're able to explain it or someone's able to explain it someday in the future.
0: I think so that's, I, that's why a lot, of, a lot of scientists, I mean, I, I still, my, my title is social scientist at the end of everything. Um, what they, uh, what we tend to, a lot of them are atheists. Um, in psychology, not so many. There's a, there's a, there's a little bit, bit of a mix because of the kind of people that are attracted to psychology to help others. Yeah, but um, but still, there's still a lot of a lot of atheists and a lot of, ag- and I think that's the difference between an agnostic and an atheist is the atheist almost has the belief in non-belief, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah while yeah, yeah. while
0: while the agnostic sticks back and says, I don't have a belief. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not I don't really have a, 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 a to to say I, I don't to agree. say that I have a belief to not believe would still mean that I believe in something. So like I'm not I I take a step back and say I I don't know. I don't yeah. know and I and I and I kind of bask in the greatness of just not knowing and if an answer comes along great um I think science is a great way of saying like I I I know I I heard this in a podcast and I forgot who it was who said it originally and I'll have to search it up later but the way this scientist put it was he used to be very dogmatic about his scientific beliefs like this is the truth like this Mm. these research studies have proved or shown enough evidence to say that this is it but after years of studying science he started leaning towards this is what it is for now uh yeah yeah okay 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 and like for example i don't believe in aliens hmm For now. (laughs) (laughs) If if something... But that's what science is. We're always open to the idea that something might come in and just be a game changer. Mm -hmm. And suddenly things that we said... That's why we always are careful not to say it it will never happen. We'll say it's improbable. It's highly unlikely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But to just go ahead and shut it out and say, oh, never. That's like... That's that's the that's the nail in the coffin of any good scientist to say never because then when it happens you're that guy you're that guy
1: you said never you should you should have never said that <laughs> yeah 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 and this is why I think I would probably make a bad scientist I do not want to be that guy. now that being said um, I I will I will go back to CrossFit for a second before I have to go um, the one of the last reasons why I was interested in CrossFit at all is that the purpose of the methodology is to apply some some type of measurability, where to every to fitness as 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 uh, I should step back for a second. I'll try to make this quick. Sorry. Oh no 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 worries. <laughs> okay okay yeah <laughs> actually you're not on a, you're not on a um. A time schedule just yet. Yeah, so yeah, not <laughs> to make it to make it as quick as I can though. Um, fitness, of course, from a scientific, from like a biological perspective, is the ability to procreate and for your for your species to to move on. However, the term's been broadened a lot because we have it's called the fitness industry, which is like people trying to be healthier, trying to look better, trying to have better performance, that that type of thing. So within the idea of the fitness industry, um, I think that was the final thing that got me really into in, interested in CrossFit is the idea that the goal is for everything to be measurable, where I can take one student and no matter what um, I have them go through, I can, in the end of the day, measure how well their performance was this time while they were still having fun. So it's not in a lab laboratory where I hook them up to machines. And when we finish, I say to them, hey, by the way, your VO2 max is at 60%. And they look at me with like deer eyes like, what? What's that mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? what does that really help me with? Instead, I have fun with them. I do the exact same thing. And let's say, let's say I have access to that lab. I hook them up to machines. Let's imagine that for a second. Hook them up to it. Finished, I say, wasn't that pretty awesome? They say, yeah. And then later they say, well, how am I doing? And I say, oh, well, we've been monitoring and there's something called VO2 max, which is your ability to take in oxygen when you breathe. It's gone up. It's gone up this much. I'm not giving them some random number. I'm giving them something we've measured over time.
0: Makes sense. That's the
1: idea. If it's a laboratory, of course, most of the time we're we're in here running into the wall, so it's, <laughs> I, I show them more. Okay. You were able to do this much more this time. And that's, that's exciting. So that's measurable.
0: Yeah. I mean, still it's and it's measurable. Yeah. So t- t- This is what I'm going to do, man. Um, yeah. you obviously like, I, I think this, uh, before we end the podcast, I'm definitely going to have you on the podcast in the future to continue to talk about CrossFit and what you're doing and, and your adventures out here. Cause I, I can tell sweet. there's many, um, <laughs> But uh, what I want to do is this podcast is probably going to be released next month. Okay. So uh, you know I edit and I'll probably I'll probably put it out there. Um, I, I, I hate to say April first because then it sounds like I'm not going to do it. <laughs> 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 but it it's, will. It's I promise living. you
1: <laughs> 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 that it will be
0: around the beginning of April.
1: Okay, okay, okay.
0: And um, so, do you have any CrossFit events coming up in April that you want to mention?
1: Ah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, in terms of CrossFit, we will not have any any special events in April. Um, of course, our regular training will begin, um, but we will actually have an art exhibition here okay. in uh, on April. 13th 14th and 15th okay and this is with a um with a local artist who takes uh fabric and makes things like a reflector see if i can show anyone who's watching
0: yeah if you bring it up a little more i can catch it okay there we go i see it right there
1: yeah cool this is a it's basically a reflector so i don't get hit by cars oh awesome um, but it's it's from a fabric that's very commonly used for kimonos. Kim makes these he'll be selling them here and then we'll also have it available online for purchase
0: all right so, what's your what's your website if you ah, I'll, I mean you can send that to me later and i'll I'll put it in the in the episode notes on YouTube and also in the episode notes on my website
1: yeah yeah definitely but
0: um but also if you want to say it so that people listening can also. Type it in if they're interested.
1: Definitely. It's CrossFitShohaku.com. Our name is Shohaku, which is a word for evergreen, evergreen trees, so like healthy all year round. It's spelled CrossFit, C-R-O-S-S-F-I-T, and Shohaku is S-H-O-H-A-K-U.com.
0: There it is. And if my Me. listeners are sitting there going, oh, I'm going to have it there on the episode notes. You can calm, calm your tits or calm your eyeballs. Just scroll down. There's a link and you can check out his website. Sweet. Thanks again for coming on the show, man. I really do appreciate it. Um, oh, pleasure. And then for those of you all listening, uh, just stay tuned for my quick wrap-up. And uh, make sure to check out, check out the art exhibition if you find yourself uh, for the expats listening on the 13th, 14th, and 15th. Um, more, yeah. And then just check out the wrap-up for some more events coming up. Catch you all later. So that's the full... That's the whole thing. So there it is. That this this ends it right there. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, this interview. I'm gonna try to do a few more interviews with expats out here in Japan and a few more inspiring stories. I know um, I kind of tend not to interview people, but well, I do. I interview people, huh? Yeah, I, I'm sure if you if you stuck around this long, you'll notice I interview people. But I'm gonna try to interview more people and try to bring you some more inspiring stories from Japan. Uh, not so much that I'm changing the format of the show, um, but I am going to try to reach out to a few more uh, cats out here in Japan that kind of talk about what brought them out here. And uh, every so once in a while, I'll, I'll link it back to maybe something that's going on. And of course, it'll always be from the focus of psychology, but um, still, uh, I, I think uh, I think there's some pretty interesting people out here to interview, and I want to take advantage of some new software that I recently picked up, and... Um, yeah that's pretty much it as always uh... thank you for tuning in social jello with angelo check out my website for more information about events and all kinds of stuff coming up as you heard in the interview um, if you are in japan and you wanted to check out some of the art that christopher was talking about he's also got a link that i'm going to be putting on the notes of this show so you can check that out too if you live in japan and you want me to interview you hit me up um, on my website You can contact me at www.socialjello.com. You can go right there under contact. It will shoot me an email, and I will get right back to you because I'm on that. All right, y'all. Thanks again, and I will catch you next time. Peace.